Well, good morning. Have a seat. It is great to see all of you here this morning, all of you that are here in the auditorium, and a lot of you who have reached out to me this morning already saying that you are watching online. Um, it's great to have you with us. I love that we're able to do our live stream services, and we literally have people all over the country with us here this morning. So I, I say this a lot, guys, and I'm going to keep saying it, but I am just so thankful for the technology that we have that has allowed us to keep doing what we need to do during this pandemic. We haven't been able to meet the way we would like to meet. We haven't been able to hug the way we want to hug. We haven't been able to shake hands the way we want to shake hands. But we're still spreading the gospel. And that's what it's all about. See, we could have done two things. We could have just thrown up our hands and said, you know what, it's a pandemic. We can't do this the way we want to do it, so let's just not do it. But thankfully, the church work goes on. And I want a special shout out to Chris and to Sharla and to Matt and all of the people who, who do the live stream week in and week out. And for those of you who have ever watched our live stream, and I've looked at many of the other churches' live streams, and I'm just going to say we have one of the best. And that is an all-volunteer staff back there doing that for us. So we really appreciate you guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Um, you guys continue to amaze me every single weekend. So. We're going to jump into today's lesson, and for those of you who have been with us the last few weeks, we are studying the book of Philippians, and I love the book of Philippians, and I know uh, many of you do as well because I've had quite a few of you tell me how much you love this book, and I want to just focus on chapter 3, verses 15 through 21, and if you're familiar with the book of Philippians, you'll understand that's why I asked Brandon to include that last song in there because we're going to talk about citizenship, and we're going to focus on this idea of being trans. So that's where we're going to be at today. So just a quick reminder for you, the reason that we're reading Paul's letter and the reason I feel like this is such a, a, a just an important aspect for us to take a look at is just like what we just talked about, COVID has kind of had us in lockdown, right? It's got, got us not doing some of the things that we want to do. And Paul, when he wrote this letter, was in a very similar but a much worse situation than we find ourselves in. See, Paul was in prison. Paul was in chains. And Paul didn't even know, was he waiting to be executed or not? But he didn't let that stop him. Now, here's what I love. Not only did Paul not let that stop him from doing the work that Jesus Christ had told him to do, but he did it with a joyful heart. Paul talks over and over and over again throughout this book about the joy that he has and the joy that he finds in Jesus and the joy that he has in this church that he can't even be with. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Right? We can't be with each other the way we want to be with each other right now, but it shouldn't stop us from A, doing the Lord's work, and B, finding joy in that and finding joy in each other. And see, that, that's, where, that's where the real key comes in here. And that's why I think this is the perfect time to look at the book of Philippians because, yeah, we're not necessarily in prison, but some of us have felt like we're in chains, right? We have felt like, hey, we just can't do work the way we want to do work, and our kids aren't doing school the way we want them to do school. But that doesn't stop us from doing the Lord's work. So, as you can tell, I'm excited. Let's jump in. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to be in verse 15. And that's where the bulk of our, our scripture, of course, is going to be, is Philippians 3, 15. And we're going to walk through this. And I want to point out some things to you as we go. It says, all of us, then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. It says, and if on some point you think differently, then, excuse me, that too God will make clear to you. It says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. 
Now, if you were with us last week, we, we kind of flushed out this idea of what it is that we have attained and how that looks when we live into Christ. But I want to look at some things in this verse. It's a relatively small verse, but there's a lot of good stuff in here. I want to look at this idea of mature. So this verse uses mature. In this translation, I use the NIV. The NIV uses mature. But if you look at some of the other translations, many of the other translations, mature and perfect, are kind of used interchangeably. And the reason for that is, is when we go back to the Greek, right, the original language, we see that it pretty much means the exact same thing. So as you're reading different translations, and I know some of you do this just like I do, I'll read it from one and I'll I'll look at another translation, look at another translation, and look at a commentary and kind of see where we're going here. And some of them say perfect, and some of them say mature. So, so what does he mean by being mature or being perfect? Does that mean I have to be older? No, that's not what he's talking about. But it says being mature or perfect is a matter of thinking in the way in which Paul has been talking about. So throughout this letter, the way that Paul has been talking about how they should act and how they should behave and how they should follow Christ, he's saying that's exactly what he's saying. And I love that he says, look, if you're maturing Christ, you see this the way that I see it. And if you're not, well, the Holy Spirit will fix that. Right? So people tell me the Bible's not funny and the Bible's not interesting and the Bible's not entertaining. But, but last week we talked about what? We talked about garbage, right? He says all of that's garbage. And this week he's basically saying, look, if you don't agree with me, if you don't agree with the teachings that I'm teaching you of how to live into Christ... He's basically saying, eh, the Holy Spirit will take care of that. So I I love that because that reminds me, right? That reminds me that when things are tough and when I don't understand things, I've got to tune into the Holy Spirit, right? Because that's a gift. That's a gift that we were all freely given. You know, we're coming up to the holidays and we're starting to think about gifts and things like that. It's a gift that we were given when we accepted Jesus Christ. And if we don't use that gift, then what's the point? Right? That would be like somebody gives you the latest and greatest iPhone, right? And the iPhones come in those nice little boxes with the, the phone and the charging cords and all that kind of good stuff. And that would be like me giving that to you and you setting it on a counter and just saying, that's cool. That was an awesome gift. But you never opened the box. If we're not using the Holy Spirit, if we're not tuning into the Holy Spirit, then we have taken this gift and we've just set it on the counter. Jesus knew when he left this earth right? He knew that we were going to need some help along the way. And he gave us the Holy Spirit to help guide us along the way. But you got to open that box. Otherwise, it just sits on the shelf. It doesn't do you any good. So this idea of perfection, this is what I want to look at. I want to look at three types of perfection, right, that we have as Christians. Because I know when you hear that word perfect, sometimes we go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We just talked last week about nobody's perfect. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God, right? But Here's what we mean. When we're baptized into Christ, right? When we come up out of this water, we're perfect. For that split second, right? For that moment in time, we are perfect. Because Christ has taken all of those sins away. And he's taken all of those blemishes away. He's cleaned the slate. And we're ready to go. So at that moment, we're indeed perfect. Now, as we know, and as we talked about last week a little bit, we're going to mess up along the way right? On a daily basis, we're going to mess up because there's only one person that was perfect, and that's not us, right? But are we progressing towards perfect? We can't be perfect. We just can't, as hard as we may try, and as much as people may like to think they are, right? We can't be perfect, but we should be striving to be perfect every day, Right? Every day we want to walk closer and closer to Jesus. 
That's how we're striving for perfection. We're not going to get it, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try for it. We got to keep working. We got to keep walking. We got to keep talking. We got to keep praying. We got to stay tuned into the Holy Spirit, right? That's how we walk towards perfection. And then one day, one day, when this existence here on earth is over, when all of this stuff that's going on in our lives and all of the hurt and all of the sorrow and all the pain is gone, we're going to be in heaven and then we truly will be perfect. We're going to be perfect, guys. We're going to be perfect. We're not going to hurt. There's going to be no sorrow. There's going to be no fears. There's going to be no tears. We're going to be perfect one day. That's the goal. And see, that's what I want you to think about as we talk about this idea of living into Christ and we talk about living closer to Christ. We've got to remember the end game. We've got to remember what's waiting at the end. See, and I don't know how Andrew does this, but he does it every time. He, he, his communion talk went right into my lesson. I don't know how he did it, but... It's a Holy Spirit thing, obviously, but he was talking about this, this idea of having the end in mind as we go towards the goal, as we start towards the goal. And I don't know how you did that, but thank you. We're writing a book every day. Every day when you get out of bed, you are writing your story with the end in mind. And what's that end? The end is what we just talked about, right? That's being perfect in heaven. That's the goal. That's the end of the story. Christ has already paid the price. He's already given us the blank manuscript. But see, God gave us free will. See, God didn't want, God didn't want to create people and force them to love him. He wanted us to want to love him. So he gave us this thing called free will. And thank goodness he did. Could you imagine this existence if we didn't have free will, if we were just minions of God running around the earth? We're writing a story every day. Every decision that we make is writing another page in that book with the end in mind. Have you ever gone straight to the end of a book before? We've all done it, right? I'm in school. I may or may not have done it. But a lot of us have reading lists, right, that are like this long, and we know we're never going to make it through that whole reading list. So you, you kind of look at the intro to the book, and then you kind of flip to the back. Okay. Well, guess what, guys? I've read the end of the Bible. I know how the story ends. But how do we get to that story is the key. And it looks different for me than it looks for you. And if you turn and look to the person next to you, guess what? It looks different for them, too. But we're writing a book. We know how it starts. Jesus already died for our sins. We know how it ends, and that's hopefully attaining eternal life in heaven and being perfect. But all of these pages in between are yet to be written. And you get to do that. You get to decide every day, how am I going to write my story? Am I going to write my story in a way that glorifies God in everything that I say and do? Or am I going to write my story the way I want it to be? Which unfortunately can change the ending, right? Let's continue, because I don't, I don't want to run short on time today. All right, Philippians 3.17 says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Guys, we've talked about this before. We are better together. 
we are better when we're there to support each other and to love each other and to pray for each other and to hug each other. We're better together. You, you heard the, the, the card that Michael read from, from the Hawkins family. And, and unfortunately, they, they didn't get to celebrate her life in the way they would have liked to because of the pandemic. But, but that doesn't mean that we weren't here for them as a church family. That didn't stop us from getting meals to the family. It didn't stop us from sending cards and notes and phone calls and text messages and emails. Guys, we're, we're better together. We were never designed to live alone. We were never designed to live alone. God recognized that from day one after he made Adam. It's not good for somebody to be alone, right? So he made Eve. The churches came together from the earliest time of the church and met in people's homes. They gathered together. They didn't stay at home and just this family did this and this family did that. No, they came together. They pooled their resources. They met daily. They shared meals together. They did life together, and that's what God intends for us. And that's what I love about the fact that we have our church family here and we have our extended church family throughout the nation. But we're better together. And the New Testament reminds us of that over and over and over again. Now, Paul talks about his example. In this verse we just read, he's talking about his example that he is setting for them. You guys know I'm the youth minister here and we talk a lot about mentoring and we talk a lot about accountability. And we talk a lot about having someone to look up to. So, so I put the definition of a mentor up there, and you can read that. It's a wise and trusted counselor or teacher. It says, an influenced senior sponsor or support. But here's what I want to encourage you today. Paul talked about the example that the believers were setting for the non-believers. Here's what I want to challenge you. Are you a mentor to someone? Are you a mentor to someone? Is there someone that looks up to you, that's watching the things that you say and do? Is there someone who's maybe newer in their faith than you are that you could reach out to to help bring them along, to help teach them, to help encourage them, to help build them up? Because here's what I want to encourage every single one of you. Find someone who you can be a mentor to. And that doesn't mean you have to sit down and go page by page through the Bible. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But what I'm talking about is someone who you can show what it means to be a Christ follower. Someone who can see your love for Christ and how you're living your daily life to be closer and closer to Christ. Are you a mentor? Because I'll tell you right now, especially if you're a parent, you got somebody watching you. And they're watching your every move. And sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes it's not, right? Because again, we're not perfect. But here's what I want to encourage you. I want you to A, I want you to be a mentor to someone. And B, I want you to find somebody to mentor you. Because we're not perfect. There's always somebody that we can learn from. No matter how old we are, I don't care if you're 12 or if you're 82, there's somebody that knows more about something than you do. Or there's somebody that does something in a way that you can learn from. I want to encourage you, be a mentor and have a mentor. Because you only stand to grow. 
because you build relationships. Maybe they know more about the Bible than you. Great, have a Bible study with that person. They can teach you some things. Maybe you're really good at reaching out to people who are sick or hurting. Great, teach somebody how you do that. Maybe you're weak in those areas. Find somebody who's strong in those areas. Because again, we're we're better together. When we work together, find somebody that complements your weaknesses. Be vulnerable. Say, look, I don't know everything. But, but hey, Glenn, you're really good at this, and I, I want to learn how to do that. Find somebody that can mentor you and be a mentor. That's exactly what Paul's talking about. Let's move forward, 18 and 19. Again, we're still in Philippians chapter 3. It says, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. It says, Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. It says their mind is set on earthly things. This idea of tears in their eyes brings me to to this verse, and you can flip over to this verse, or I've got it on the screen for you, and it's in Luke chapter 19, verses 41 and 42. It says, as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you... Even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. And now it is hidden from your eyes. And we pick up in verse 43. It says, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. It says, they will dash you to the ground and the children within your walls. It says they will not leave one strong, excuse me, one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So when I hear Paul talking about with tears in his eyes, I think back to this story about crying over Jerusalem. See, and, and, and I believe to this day that, that Jesus sits in heaven and cries when he sees some of the things that are going on. When he sees how far we have strayed as a society, as a country, as a nation, from his teaching, I believe just like when he looked at Jerusalem, he cries. Think about that, though. Why does Jesus cry? Because he loves us. Because he loves us so much that it breaks his heart when we're not living in to what he has done for us. See, Christ went to the cross for us. He, he died one of the most painful deaths you can imagine for us. So we've got to live into that every single day. Because if we don't, then it makes him basically feel like, well, what was the point of that? Think about that. Think about when somebody does something really, really great for you and you turn around and disappoint them. Or think about when somebody does that to you, how do you feel? See, Paul loved the church so much that it brought tears to his eyes when they weren't living into Christ. I love the fact that this verse talks about they they led with their stomachs. (laughs) Because as you can see, I, I tend to, you know, Think about my stomach a lot, too, and I don't miss any meals. But they, their stomachs were guiding them in the way that they were going. 
See, they were more worried about the food that they were eating than they were following God. And that leads me to, our, to, to what's important to us. See, for them, the, the, the area that he's addressing was their stomachs. But what is it for us? Is it money? Is it work? Is it sports? What are the things that we're following that are causing us to not follow God? Now, don't get me wrong. Work should be important. Providing for your family should be important. The Bible is very clear on that, providing for your family. And I'm not saying you can't have a favorite sports team as long as it's the Cowboys. But what I am saying is anything that detracts you from following Jesus is an idol. What did the Israelites do over and over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament? They followed idols. Moses goes up to receive the Ten Commandments, and just in the time that he's gone, what happens? He comes back there worshiping the golden calf. We've got to be careful that we're not following our stomachs or that we're not following any of these other things that detract us from following the one thing we should be doing, and that's following Jesus. The rest is secondary. He talks about this idea of shame and their shame. And I want to take just a moment to kind of veer off course here and talk about the difference between shame and guilt. Because I think this is important. I think this is an important concept for us to understand. Shame is a painful feeling or humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behaviors. See, here's the difference. Shame says, I'm a bad person. Shame says, I've made so many mistakes that there's nothing I can do about it, and that's just who I am. We look at the millions of people that are incarcerated in the United States, and a lot of those are incarcerated because they've let somebody tell them, you're a bad person. And they've let that sink in, and they've they've let that marinate long enough that now they just feel like, look, this is just who I am. I'm a bad person. See, that's what shame is. Shame is when we let ourselves think, I'm just this terrible person. I can never be the kind of Christian that I want to be because because I make these mistakes and I do these things. But let's look at the difference between shame and guilt. Guilt is the fact of having committed a specified or implied offense or crime. See, this is the difference. See, we have guilt as Christians, right? Because we mess up, and we make mistakes all the time. But that's the difference between shame and guilt. See, we don't have to carry around shame to say, I'm a bad person because I sin, because we all sin. But thankfully, Christ was willing to go to the cross so that we don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to let our old life affect us anymore. We don't have to let every mistake we make affect us anymore because Christ already paid the price for that. We're not bad Christians. We just do bad things. We make mistakes. We sin. But here's the cool part. Nothing you can do will make God love you any less. Nothing. He may not like what you're doing, and he may be disappointed, and he may even be what we were just talking about. He may even get a tear in his eye, but it doesn't mean he doesn't love you. And where I've seen Christians get off track 
is when they start to let these things that they've done and these mistakes that they've made define who they are. And they say, I can just never come back from that. But see, that's, that's not God talking. That's the enemy talking. Because God's message is, I don't care what's happened in the past. I don't care what you've done. As long as you come to me in true repentance, I'm going to forgive you for that. Because Christ already paid the price for that. You don't have to pay the price for that anymore. We can't pay that price. Jesus already paid it. We can't let that define who we are. Let's jump back into Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. Underline that. From there. It says, The Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. When we're baptized into Jesus Christ, when we become a Christ follower, we are transformed from a citizen of earth to a citizen of heaven. And that's why I asked Brandon to, to throw that song in the mix this morning just before, just before the lesson. This world is not my home, right? We're just passing through. And thank goodness for that. Because could you imagine if this life, with all of its pain and all of its sorrow and all of its turmoil and all the crazy things that are going on in the world, can you imagine if that was it? That was all we had to look forward to? But when we're Christ followers, that's not the end. That's not the end. That's not the ending to that book that we're writing. Heaven is the end. Our citizenship isn't here. And thank goodness for that. Our citizenship is with Christ in heaven. I want to jump over to 1 Peter because we're going to, I want to flesh out this idea of being transformed because Peter, this almost says the exact same thing that Paul was saying with just different words. So I want to jump over to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, and I want to read this real quick as we kind of wrap this up. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Verse 5 says, Who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It says, In all this you greatly rejoice. There's that word rejoice again says, though now for a little while you have made to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Verse 7 says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with the inexpressible and joyous and glory, excuse me, joy. See, there's that word joy again. 
And I love what that passage talks about. When it talks about it, it reminds us of how Jesus has already paid the price for us. But then it goes on to talk about, even though you haven't seen him, you believe him. See, that's what faith is all about. In a nutshell, that's what faith is. None of us have seen Jesus. But we believe with all of our hearts and all of our minds and all of our souls that he came to this earth, that he walked as a man, and that he died for the sins of every single one of us. We believe that with all of our heart and all of our soul. And I often think, man, what what must it have been like to have been around in Jesus' day? And, And to see the things that Jesus did. And as I read through the New Testament and I read the stories of Jesus and I read the miracles that he performed and the amazing things that he did and the people that he healed... I can't imagine how you could have seen those things and still not believed. But everything we read tells us most of them still didn't believe, even though they saw it. And people today say, well, I I don't see the things that Jesus does, but, but that's not true. Because you see those things all around us. You see those things everywhere we go. And we've been given this Bible that tells us all these amazing stories. And see, that's what faith is. It's believing even when you can't see. And that's part of this transformation process. And that's part of this process that Paul is talking about when he tells us we need to live in to the things that Jesus has done for us. Because Jesus already did the hard part. It's our goal every day to live our lives in a way that honors that sacrifice that was made for us. Because we certainly didn't deserve it. All right, so let's look at our takeaways. I'm running out of time here. Let's look at our takeaways. Be a mentor and have a mentor. And I can't stress that enough. And if you don't know how to do that, come see me. I'll be happy to talk to you about how you can mentor. I've got a whole youth group full of kids that would love to have somebody to pour into them and to mentor them other than myself and Michael. We're better together. Guys, this has been a tough time. It's, it's been tough for me, it's been tough for you, it's been tough for all of us in different ways. We've made the best of it, but it's been hard. Let's just be honest with ourselves. Take a moment this week. Reach out to somebody you haven't talked to from our church. Send them a text message, send them an email, write out a letter. Find a way to reach out to somebody in the church and just say, hey, I'm thinking about you, I love you, I'm praying for you. Encourage them, support them. It's a tough time, guys. It's a tough time. Remember where our citizenship is. Remember, we're taught to be in the world, but not of the world. We have no choice but to live here, but that doesn't mean we have to act like the world acts because we're not citizens here. We're citizens up there. Be transformed. Be transformed. Keep striving every day for that perfection. Keep striving every day to walk closer and closer with Jesus Christ so that one day we'll be prepared. In just a moment, we're going to have another song that's called the Song of Invitation. It's an opportunity for you to sit and just reflect, or stand and reflect in this case, on where you're at. Have I truly been transformed? Am I truly living in to what Christ has done for me? And maybe you've never been baptized. The baptistry is full, it's warm, it's ready to go. What a great opportunity for you to commit your life to Jesus Christ, to start working on writing that story that ends with eternal life in heaven.
Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you, you, you've, you've lost sight of the goal. You've lost sight of where we should be and what we should be doing. What a better opportunity to make sure that you have a chance to get your life right before you walk out that door. If you're in our online audience, feel free to reach out to me, Aaron, at mvchurch.org, if I can help you in any way. If you want to make an appointment to come be baptized, we would love to do that for you. But I want to invite you to consider those things as we stand together and as we sing. I will never be the same again. I can never return. I've closed the door. I will walk the path. I'll run the race. And I will never be the same again. No, I will never be the same again. I love that song that we will never be the same again. And one of my favorite parts of that song is where he says, uh, whatever you need to do, God, do it in me. And that's part of this idea of transformation that we've been talking about. I want to invite all of you to be with us this afternoon at 4 o'clock. We will be in the fellowship hall due to this crazy Southern California weather we're having today with the wind and the rain and everything else. Um, So we will be meeting indoors, but we want to encourage you to join us. And then next Sunday morning, of course, we have 1015 for our children's worship and 1030. We'll be back here for our morning worship service as we continue our study on the book of Philippians. Would you please join me in a word of closing prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we are just thankful for your presence here today. We're thankful for just all of the wonderful things that happen within this church, and we're thankful that we've continued to do the work of the the church. Heavenly Father, we ask that you will truly help us this week to be transformed. Help us to truly be striving every day for that perfection that you would have us to be. Help us just to walk closer and closer and closer to you as we strive to do better and better in our daily lives. Heavenly Father, again, we just thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for sending your son, not because we were worthy of that, not because we were deserving of that, but simply out of your love for us. Heavenly Father, be with us. Help to keep us safe. Guide, guard, and direct us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being with us, and have a great week. I will never be the same again. I can never return. I close the door. I will walk the path. I'll run the race. And I will never be the same again. Fall like fire. Soak like rain. Flow like mighty water.
and again. Sweep away the darkness, burn away the chaff, and let a flame burn to glorify your name. I will never be the same again. I can never return. I've closed the door, I will walk the path, I'll run the race, and I will never be the same again, no, I will never be the same.